I think the most shocking thing about this is that the normal day-to-day people are out in the street outraged about the government, but this is not the issue. Nobody's challenging him on what his government is doing. No one's challenging him as why he's not firing a senior member of his cabinet who said that an entire Palestinian town needs to be wiped out. How is he not being challenged? How is the president of the United States not inviting, calling the ambassador immediately and reprimanding him and demanding an explanation? Welcome to the Miko Peled Podcast. Welcome to the Miko Peled Podcast. Miko, there's a lot to talk about. Let's talk, let's start by talking about Hawara. Yes, there is a lot to talk about. And it's interesting looking at the Israeli press because Hawara, with this really this massive assault by settlers and soldiers, burning and destruction and terrorizing of an entire Palestinian town, supposedly as a response to the killing of an Israeli, is, I don't even know how to say this, it's not front page news anymore. Like the top, uh, like the biggest headlines now are not Hawara. Even the fact that a senior government minister said on record that he thinks Hawara must be eliminated and completely erased off the map is not like the top of the page. Didn't make the top of the page. What Israelis are actually more interested in and what the press is providing, what the Israeli papers are talking about, the Hebrew papers are talking about, are the Israelis protesting the response of the police, which they find to be too too harsh. And the fact that one of the leaders of the opposition parties, Benny Gantz, the former general, has approached Netanyahu saying, hey, look, we can't let this get out of hand. We don't want a civil war. We're all, we're going to ruin this beautiful thing that we've created, the Jewish state, blah, blah, blah. Let's talk. And Netanyahu said, sure, my door is always open. And so it looks like they're beginning to this kind of negotiation, if you will, to end the protest and maybe open the discussion about the, about the judicial reform. This is what it's all about. It's about this judicial reform. And this is, it's so indicative of how Israel operates because there's no investigation. A few kids, a few of these settler kids were arrested and released, detained and released a few hours later. An entire community was terrorized to the point that people are scared to, to even step out of their homes. I can't imagine, I just can't imagine. We heard stories about these things happening to Jews, pogroms, all that sort of thing. One community, I don't know who, coming and terrorizing. I mean, we, we hear about these things all the time. It's impossible to imagine what it's like to be on the receiving end. I can't imagine. First of all, the images are so dramatic and so frightening of burning cars, burning buildings in the night. It just looks like complete chaos and destruction. And we can give people some of the numbers. I think over 100 cars were burned. Of course, most importantly, like at least one was killed. And I think dozens of houses and buildings were also destroyed and burned. This is a lot of destruction and just... Yeah, they invaded the town. They blocked with their bodies. They blocked the roads. Um, I mean, the, the area, that area around, you know, the northern part of the West Bank, not exclusively, but the way, you know, they're, they're all, some of the, some of them are more really more, more horrifically radical uh, racist, hate-filled, uh, gangs live in these settlements in this area. And it's not unusual for them to come down and terrorize a village, to come down and, and terrorize the village to the point where every, the entire village had to leave. This has happened before, things like this. And, be, and mo- usually these settlements are up on top of the hill and they've got these glaring lights, huge, huge lights that light the area around them. Palestinians 
who are in the villages all around. It's like they're under this, uh, it's almost like they're within a prison. And these settlers, they're armed and they come through the villages and they kick and they steal and they destroy and they do whatever the hell they want. And this has always been that way. This time, and lately, not this is not the first time, but lately they've been much more organized. And of course, now with their people holding key positions in the government, they're empowered and they know that they can do a lot more than they've been doing. And that's really what this was. They blocked the streets, they marched in. And then when the soldiers came, they were ready with refreshments for the soldiers, food and drink and yummies to give the soldiers to say, hey, we appreciate your support. That's the relationship between the military and these guys. The military officially, at least, is charged with protecting the civilians who are being attacked, but that's not the case in Palestine ever. And, and yeah, they just came in and people, what do people do? I've seen this in Jerusalem during the flag march, is a famous flag march, I think it's usually in May. During Jerusalem Day, where these, where thousands of these guys march to the old city and people just, they lock their stores, they lock their homes and they stay inside and they won't come out because they know how dangerous it is. So this is like the next level, torching, burning. And there's a lot of videos out there showing them lighting fires and torch. Everything is, everything is on, is available to see. And they don't care. They don't care. There's cameras everywhere. They don't care. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. I can't imagine what it's like to be on the inside when a mob like that marches through your town, wanting to destroy and kill and burn everything in sight. And then a major a senior government minister, the minister of finance. Finance is one of the top three positions in any, in any government, in any cabinet. It's usually defense, defense, foreign, foreign secretary, foreign ministry, and finance. So the top three. And this is Bitsala Smotrich, who is one of these settler guys, one of these racist, violent settler guys. And he says, First of all, there was a tweet that by somebody else that said that Hawara should be eliminated. And then he liked it on Twitter. And then he was asked about it in an interview and without missing a beat, without a beat, without a blink of an eye, he said, yes, I think the village should be, the town should be completely wiped off. And then he tweeted saying, I didn't actually mean it. I just meant that they should, all the terrorists should be taken out and punished. We know what he thinks because he's been saying these things for years. He's been talking about a second Nakba. He's been talking about finishing the job of 1948 publicly in the Knesset. It's not like we don't know what he thinks. So to be on the receiving end, knowing that this is now official policy, that a senior member of the government said this and nobody denied it and nobody reprimanded him. In other words, this is, and it's not even, it's not even the top of the page in the news. It's mentioned, but that's it. Like further down, but Alan Smotrich said, blah, 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 and whatever. You'd think this massive assault by a civilian militia of racist thugs, racist gangs against a civilian population would be in the news for days and days and days, that there'd be police investigations, that people would be held accountable, that the government would be forced to, or military officials who are charged with protecting the Palestinian civilians, officially at least, would be sacked. You know, there'd be court martials. I mean, this is, this is, nothing is happening. There's nobody hold, nobody, nobody's paying for this. Nobody, nobody, there are no consequences for any of the Israelis at all. Not the settlers, not the soldiers, not the officers. Uh, Gideon Levy, uh, uh, in a, in a piece in Aretz, uh, compared this to Sabran Shatila where you know, this was going on and nobody thought, none, none of the, you know, the Israelis were, were overseeing that area where the massacre took place in, you know, 1982. And nobody thought that was worth reporting. Nobody thought it was worth doing anything about or stopping. He says, this is a prelude to what's coming up, another suburb in Jatila.
But the fact that there are no court martials, that nobody's being sacked, that there's no, not even a scapegoat junior officer, nothing. Nobody thinks that this was a problem. Nobody thinks that this should go to a higher level and the government should be held responsible or at least explain itself. Nothing. We're talking about a huge, a big town. This is not a small village of 20, 30 people. Not that would justify it. And the damages and the trauma. This is Israel. And so now they're dealing with uh, these protesters. And one protester got a uh, tear gas grenade, hit his head. And another protester, I guess they, there was a stun grenade thrown. They, there's a video of an officer, police officer throwing a stun grenade into the crowd. And th that's the only conversation. This is the only thing that it's important. And it's not even to do anything about Hawara. In other words, nobody in that protest is saying, wait a minute, hold off with this judicial thing. This is important, but judicial reform. But there was a massive assault now by, by a civilian militia, hundreds and hundreds of these guys. These are, these are, these are basically delinquents who are growing up with this just racist indoctrination. It's quasi-religious, quasi-nationalistic, hate-filled, racist, violent education or indoctrination, one of us, one of them was recorded himself, one of the leaders of the group saying, you know what, Jews are now proud because you should all be proud after this day, because look at us, we stood up and we took revenge and we took matters into our own hands. So they think it's fine. And, uh, and nobody, you'd think protests about the judicial issue would stop for a minute and say, wait, we need to protest this because this government is now responsible for this terrible thing that just happened. This massive assault, this terrorizing of a community, nothing. And we can expect more of this. We can ex certainly expect this in Hebron. We can certainly expect this in other parts of that area. Every place where these, this community exists, where this community of settler exists, which is out throughout the entire country. It's now not just in the West Bank, it's everywhere, or Jerusalem, it's everywhere. We saw it in 2021. I keep referring to 2021. We saw it in the city of Lid. We saw hundreds of these gangs marching through the city and destroying Palestinian property and terrorizing Palestinians, armed. And there's videos that maybe we can, I can, I'll send you, we can attach them somehow. But there's videos showing all this because there's cameras, there are cameras everywhere. The municipalities, cities put cameras everywhere today. So, uh, and they don't care. And this is the big, this is what, this is, I think, the most shocking thing about this, perhaps, is that the normal day-to-day -day people are out in the street outraged about the government, but this is not the issue. The issue is something that they fear will jeopardize their perception of a democracy that they think they live in which of course is a myth. So this is what's happening in the press today, in the Israeli press today. I'm so glad that you mentioned a part of this, which is the trauma of going through this type of experience as a resident of Huwara, and of course, a resident of other places nearby. And you know that it can happen to your town on the other side of the West Bank or whatever. But every once in a while, people say, you know, how traumatic it must be to be an Israeli and to know that a rocket could rain down on you any moment. And and no doubt there's absolutely some drama associated with it, but it's just minuscule compared to what Palestinians go through on a regular basis. And that's the power of narrative. That's the power of media is who, whose feelings do you care about? Whose feelings do you talk about? Who do you humanize? And far, it's far too rare that Palestinians get humanized in that way. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, the Israeli Knesset just passed, it hasn't passed it yet, but it has to go through three, three sessions, three levels of voting, but the Knesset just passed the bill for a death penalty against what they call terrorists. Every kid throwing a rock is a terrorist. And all the prisoners in the in Israeli jails, all Palestinian prisoners are all terrorists. And so this is just passed. The, I can't imagine what it must be like 
I can't imagine what it must be like to be a Palestinian these days in Palestine. It is, it is really beyond, beyond, beyond horrifying, beyond, beyond horrifying. And especially since there's this massive support from the United States and the notion of terrorism only applies to Palestinians. And there's no recognition at all of the fact that the Israeli government is a terrorist organization, that the Israeli army is a terrorist organization which inflict terrorism on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and from time to time allow for actual assaults like this, which are bigger and more massive, but allows for an ongoing act of terrorism every single day, every day, every year against Palestinians all the time throughout all of Palestine. And there's no even beginning of a recognition that somehow Palestinians suffered and Palestinians have a right to resist. Palestinians have a right to self-defense. There was a Palestinian member of Knesset, uh, you know, said it on the floor of the Knesset. He said, so wait a minute. So do Palestinians that are being attacked by these Jewish terrorists have a right to defend themselves? Do they have a right to defend themselves? And does Palestine have a right to exist? You just, you can't, you're not allowed to flip the things that Israel says about their right to exist and their right to defend themselves. And this came up, you know, this came up in a press briefing also in, in the State Department a few months ago, where Ned Price, the spokesperson, was asked, do Palestinians have a right to defend themselves? And of course, he fumbled, he didn't know what to say. He goes back, all these little mantras that he repeats without any connection to the, what the question they've been. So I can't imagine, I can't imagine, and in, in, the, in this bill that, that calls for the death penalty for Palestinians, talks about these murderers are getting these improved conditions in the prisons that they get, they get paid by the Palestinian Authority millions of dollars. Then later on, they are released in all kinds of uh, exchanges. The, the purpose of this bill is to nip the terrorism in the bud and to create a real sense of, a real sense of, what's the word, you know, of, to, to prevent terrorism basically by, by, by scaring people, by, by scaring Palestinians that if they get caught, they're going to be killed. People go out to fight, they expect to be killed anyway. But the problem is that a lot of these Palestinians, the vast majority of them, of course, are not engaged in, in armed resistance. They're engaged in unarmed resistance mostly. And I, to me personally, Palestinians throwing rocks at soldiers who are invading their village or their town, that does not constitute armed, armed resistance at all. It's defensive. This is, the, this is the mainstream Israel talking. This is mainstream Israel. And so if anybody still wants to support Israel or talk about a two-state solution or talk about both sides, it's time for them to wake up and read the writing on the wall, read the writing in the press, in the Israeli press, listen to Israeli politicians. I don't even know if politicians like Ben Gvir and Smotrich speak English, to be quite honest. So the, everything they do is in Hebrew, which of course goes under the radar. Well, I guess you'll let us know when they say something especially egregious and shocking in Hebrew and many others do too, post about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the, well, I mean, there's so much of it. We talked about Netanyahu's uh, book. Uh, or I mentioned it the other day, you know, if you look at the reviews, you, the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, rave reviews about this book. I haven't read it, but I heard him talk about it. I heard him found his idea of the history, his version of the history. And it's complete rubbish. It's complete trash. It's nothing. There's nothing there at all that is even remotely true. It's all mythology. And nobody's challenging him on that. Nobody's challenging him on what his government is doing. No one's challenging him as why he's not firing a senior member of his cabinet 
who said that an entire Palestinian town needs to be wiped out. How is he not being challenged? How is the president of the United States not inviting, calling the ambassador immediately and reprimanding him and demanding an explanation? A senior member of the Netanyahu cabinet called for the genocide, for the complete elimination of a Palestinian town. And the American, and nobody thinks that the Israeli ambassador should be called in. Nobody thinks to call the U.S. ambassador back to Washington as at least a, a symbolic, a, at least a symbolic act of condemnation. Nobody thinks anything of it. Palestinian life is nothing. In America, over there, it's really beyond belief. It's beyond be understanding. It's beyond explaining. And again, the Ben Gvir, who is the Minister for National Security, talks about a major operation into Jerusalem, attacking Jerusalem, attacking, of course, the Palestinians. Yeah. Like they like. And again, a senior, a senior minister talking about a massive invasion of forces into East Jerusalem, into Palestinian East, Arab East Jerusalem. I mean, all Jerusalem is Palestinian, but Palestinian Arab community only exists in, in East Jerusalem. And uh, nobody, no country around the world thinks it's a good reason to call out, to, to call the Israeli ambassador and reprimand him or condemn this. I'm talking about the most senior members of Netanyahu cabinet saying these things. The most vile, racist, violent, hate-filled, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian state comments. These are people who have the power to actually do this. They have the authority to do these things. And you've got 100,000 Israelis who are complaining about something. Don't they think that this is worth some attention to? Don't they think that this is worth talking about? Don't they think this is worth protesting for? Don't they think that this is worth demanding an explanation at least? How dare he, in a position like that, say something so bold and blunt and then not being called to, to, to pay the consequences? How do you not fire a senior minister who says something like this, even if Netanyahu agrees with them still, at least for appearance's sake? And so talking about those 100,000, you said that you think it's possible they will get some of the things that they want. Yeah, they will compromise. They'll come to some kind of compromise. Netanyahu is very good at this. He's done this every single time that there's been protests and there've been ones in the past. He'll find a way to appease them and everybody will hug and kiss and say, we are one people and we have a wonderful democracy and we always work together and we're sorry if we hurt your feelings and something like this. It's all going to be, it's all going to come to nothing. It's just a way for Israelis to say, we don't like this new government and we don't like his face. And we, it's, I think it has absolutely zero significance in terms of of, in terms of real politics, in terms of, of real change, in terms of how they are going to pass this legislation because they have the majority. They might use different words. They might do it slightly slower. They might listen to the other side a little bit more, but they're going to get their way because they have the majority. That's how a parliamentary, parliamentary system works. If you have, your government has a solid majority, a safe majority, they can do whatever the hell they want. And that's exactly the situation there. So can you explain again what the legislation is and therefore what sort of compromises or what sort of ways is he going to appease these 100,000 protesters? Legislation has to do with two things. One is the high court, the Supreme Court's right to strike down laws that are unconstitutional. So they want to strike that. They want to take that right from the Supreme Court, the Israeli high court. And the other thing is the way the judges are appointed to the Netanyahu government, the people of Netanyahu government, that is, they want to have more control over, over the judges, like the conversation in America about judges. They want to have more control to make sure that the judges they get are the judges who agree with them politically. So they want to change the system by which judges are appointed. So there's less room for judges who are what they call liberal, getting into important positions within the judiciary, particularly the high court, particularly the Supreme Court. It's not the Supreme Court in Israel, it's called the High Court. 
And that's really what it's about. Those are the main two things. And then the other thing is, that, like I said before, they just don't like the makeup of this government. They want people like Ben Veer and Smotrich to remain at the West Bank. They don't want them to be in real, holding any real public office. And so that's kind of part of that. But again, it has to do with the erosion of their own privilege. And they have every yeah. right to protest, of course, but it's not like they're living in a bubble. They're living in Palestine. And there's half, more than half the population are being held under the gun, under the boot of the Israeli regime. And this doesn't seem to interest, interest some of them, but the vast majority of these 100,000 or 100, they said there were 120 or 150,000 already on the streets. This is not an issue that they think is worth bringing up. And of course, part of privilege is the ability to live in that bubble, to pretend you live in a bubble and not have to think about other people. Part of white privilege, people in the U.S. and other places, is you don't really have to think about race. Part of the privilege of being an Israeli Jew, you don't really have to think about the privilege that you have and the suffering that so many others are going through. Yeah. Yeah, and you can be at, you can, have, can you imagine 100,000 Palestinians in the street? There'll be mass, there'll be a massacre. 100,000 Israelis are out there and they're not asking for anything significant that has to do with the people that they control, the people that they occupy. Nothing. Can you imagine if 100,000, and they could do it, nobody would get hurt, nobody would get shot, they could march to Gaza, they could demand all kinds of things. Demand lifting the blockade, releasing prisoners, releasing children at least, all kinds of things that they can demand. And, and with this kind of fervor, they could bring a whole, they could change the nature of everything, you know, if they really cared. Can you imagine Palestinians, a hundred thousand Palestinians in the street, if a thousand Palestinians were in the street, the army would come in and just the blood would be streaming and the gas and the bond and the live ammunition. I mean, you have, you know, it would be everywhere. It would be a massacre. And so they're in a way they're wasting this right on, again, I'm not saying that the judiciary is not important. I'm saying in the context, in the larger context of Palestine, it would still be important, but it's not the top thing. The most important thing is ending the oppression of, of the majority of the population who live under Israeli rule, which are Palestinians, some seven, seven and a half million people, which everybody sees because they're all over there. Everybody lives across the street or a few blocks away or a few miles away from a Palestinian town. So that's, that's what people need to understand, that the nature of the state of Israel is so deeply racist that the apartheid and the privilege within the apartheid is taken as though that's how things should be. And that's a very dangerous thing. And that's why it's crucial that the people stand up and stop and demand that the support for Israel end and stop being impressed by the fact that these 100,000 Israelis are protesting. I'd be impressed if they're protesting for something that's against what happened in Huara, for example. So there was a protest. There was a protest. Some thousand or a thousand or so people came to a protest. I think it was in Tel Aviv. And they were tweeting and I wrote back and I replied, I commented to their tweets. Why are you protesting in Tel Aviv? Why aren't you in Hawara? So Palestinian citizens of Israel protested and they went to Hawara to show solidarity and to stand by the people who just suffered that massive assault. But the Israelis go to Tel Aviv. What are you doing protesting in Tel Aviv? Go to Hawara, go there and stand up there and show the Palestinians that there are Israelis who are willing to stand. And why weren't they there to begin with when the settlers came in? That's went on for a long time. 100,000 Israelis could have, could have gotten through, or 1,000. And so you said this, you wrote this in Hebrew, and did people yeah. respond? Yeah, and not that I've seen anyway. Yeah, I wrote this in Hebrew to them. I said, what, what are you doing in Tel Aviv? Why are you in Hawana protesting? And that's exactly the thing. When the Israeli so-called left want to speak up, they go to Tel Aviv. What are you doing in Tel Aviv? Go into Palestinian towns and stand with them. But nobody wants to do that. They don't want to dirty their hands. They don't want to get dust in their faces. They don't want to go through checkpoints. The whole point of standing up is to resist with the people who are being oppressed, to stand on the other side and wave 
and hold a flag, wear a t-shirt that says free Palestine, that's not helping anyone. That's just making you feel good about yourself. Cross the blind, drive to the other side, stand with the people, sit with them, protest with them, stand with them against the settlers. And there are a few Israelis that do that, to be honest. But, you know, we're talking about a handful of people, 10, 20, maybe from time to time in certain places. But it's not going to happen with people standing on the others, you know, and again, Tel Aviv, the people of Hawara don't have access to come to Tel Aviv if they wanted to. But the Israeli citizens of the Palestinian citizens of Israel went to Hawara and showed the solidarity there and marched there. That's what you do when you want to, when you want to stand with the people who are oppressed. You go to them and you stand with them where they stand. And because you're privileged, you can stand in the midst because you know that our soldiers are not going to shoot. And you know that if the settler come at you, you have the law on your side. You know what I mean? They may attack, but still, it's not the same as what they do to Palestinians. If you're going to resist, otherwise, just to make yourself feel good and show a little solidarity and even hold a Palestinian flag, that's, at this point, it's quite frankly, a complete waste of time. That's right. From the few <laughs> Hebrew phrases I know. You have no idea what an iconic phrase that is. No, that's the thing. Somebody told me it's like funny slang for me to know. It is because it means literally what it means. Originally, means it's a, don't waste your time. But what it became, the slang is if you say, oh man, something is so good, you know, it became, uh, it has nothing to do with the actual meaning of the phrase, but just the thing that says, wow, it's, oh my God, oh my God. It's, it's like saying you killed it. When you do something, yeah. you killed it. That, it's that kind of a use of the phrase. But yeah, Chavalazman is true. All right, well, look, let's wrap this up. Okay, so Miko, we want to do a call to action for every episode. And there's one very specific one I might know more about than you. Every once in a while, I might know a couple of things. Go uh, for it. The Sierra Club just got a new CEO or a new executive director, Benjamin Jealous. Do you know who Benjamin Jealous is? Does that name ring a bell? I don't know. So he was the president of the NAACP for several years okay. and fairly recently. And so he's the new CEO. And that's really exciting because Sierra Club has a history of racism, certainly from its founding. Right. And right. so it's really exciting that he could focus on racial justice along with environmental justice and along with environmental concerns. Right. The problem was that the Sierra Club leads eco-trips to Israel. And they're leading one in just a couple of weeks, and they have another one scheduled for next year. And this is what people call greenwashing. Yep. It's talking about, oh, look at these nice things that Israel is doing, conserve water and so on and so forth, while not talking about the fact that Palestinians don't have access to water and have access to very little water, and they get their wells dried up because Israelis take control of the water around it. And so their wells dry up and right. all sorts of terrible things like that. And of course, the separation wall, the apartheid wall causes lots of problems for wildlife. In so many ways, Israel is in fact damaging the ecosystem, but more importantly is greenwashing, is whitewashing the genocide, the apartheid yep. that Palestinians are going through. So please, everyone reach out to the Sierra Club, you can email them, you can tweet at them, comment on their Facebook posts and say, hey, cancel the trip. No greenwashing. If you care about the environment, if you care about racial justice, support Palestinians and don't do these greenwashing trips. So I'll put yeah. in some info in the show notes to help people do that. But like I said, just tweeting at them, just emailing them, it's all really helpful. Yeah, great. Yeah, great call to action. All right, thanks a lot. 
All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. And yeah, check us out on Patreon if you appreciate what we're doing. We've got a new video coming out before, maybe right after this. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.